1: Hello and welcome to Made by Mummers, the podcast. I'm Zoe and I'm Georgia and we're here talking all
2: things parenthood. You know, the real conversations, tips and tricks, products we love and brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. First day of the school holidays for me. How about you? First day of the school holidays for me, but I actually haven't seen my children yet. So, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, no, I normally would say, oh, yay!" but actually it's not that nice.
1: No, I really miss them. I really miss them. Yeah. But actually, after, the, after we've done this, I'm going to get home and then I'm going to take them to its Flaxstock today. You know, um, oh, yeah. the festival that we all put on for Caroline. Yeah. So it's, it's her day today. So it's going to be a really emotional, wonderful, uplifting day. Hopefully the rain holds off. Um, Olly Merz is headlining. I'm going to catch up with lots of friends. The kids love it. Like, I don't know if anybody listening has taken their kids to festivals yet. But if you get a kid friendly one, mm. um, they're such a special thing to do because it's so great to go and see live music with them.
2: Do you know what? I really want to do this with Axel. He's... In the last, I'd say year, actually, he's really got into music, like really mm. loves music. And his teacher actually said to me, sometimes when we play music in the classroom, he, it's like he's lost. He's like he's just oh. lost. it." And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, he really is, isn't he? So, I, you know, like I've been looking for somewhere that I could take him. Because, you know, like the concerts, like Harry Styles and George yeah. Ezra and all those, yeah. he loves all of those people, but they are mega expensive. And also oh. you have to, like, try and get tickets, like, Five hundred years. Also, they have to
1: sit in their seat for hours, and I don't think that's that. I don't think that's great, really, not for kids our age, anyway.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, a festival would be perfect. So maybe I will look into that.
1: Maybe come to Flaxstock next year. Everyone listening,
2: (sighs) yeah. Sounds like a really, really good plan.
1: <laughs> you had a good weekend?
2: Yeah, we did. We went to Kidzania um, yesterday. It was so good. And you know what? So many people have messaged in saying, oh, good luck, like uh, Kidzania on a weekend. And so I ha- I was a little bit like, oh my God, is it going to be really busy? But we got there at 10.30. I think the first slot on a Sunday is at 10. And it was absolutely Fine. There were no cues at all. I think the longest we waited was ten minutes, and like all the stuff that they actually got to do in that time, I thought it was like really, really, really good. Like Axel had a twenty-minute drum lesson. Um, He went played football. Gigi got to be a vet. They got to play shopkeepers. They got to go on a fire engine. (laughs) I mean, not so fun for me, but you know.
1: No, I wanted to know which role (laughs) play you'd got into.
2: Well, none of the outfits fitted. A bit (laughs) gutted. I mean, James was gutted. He really wanted to get in, like, the drum lesson as well. And the guy was like, oh, no, you've got to wait outside. Oh,
1: God, what?
2: But do you know what? I would really, really recommend it. Um, it is yeah it is a good. it's a good day out it's a great and day I, out and I wonder if actually the summer holidays might be a good time to go because it spreads the time out that people can go do you yeah. know what I mean so normally like in the in the year it must be Saturday and Sunday it must just be mobbed but I think because there's more time for kids to go maybe it's less busy I don't know if that makes any sense but yeah yeah, yeah yeah okay well that's so, good yeah, to know nice good. review
1: George yeah. um, I wanted to talk about something on the podcast today before we get into the episode because I'm yeah having a bit of a mare with Luna at the moment. And it's to do with her consistently, consistently waking me up. Now I'm not talking about in the mornings, which she's been doing for nearly seven years anyway, because like I've got sort of got my head around that. But it's like yesterday, for example, I was super tired from a week of work and we went out for a friend's birthday and I just wanted to have like a half an hour nap. That's all I was Mm. asking for. And she just keeps coming over and waking me up. And I'm wondering if, firstly, anyone else has experienced this because it's not that she wants me. She just, I think, wants to control the situation. I don't know, George. Like, I feel, and I I ended up getting so cross with her yesterday because I was like, please leave me alone. Like, just give me half an hour for me to shut my eyes. And then I thought, oh, fuck, I'm being a terrible mother. I should be, you know, up and about playing Uno with her. But I don't know. I I just don't know if anyone can shed any light on it and if they can on how to handle it, drop me a DM because it's really upsetting me at the moment.
2: Yeah no, do you know what? I I actually know what you mean. I know when the kids, it's like they don't want you, but they don't want you to be doing anything else. I know. That's sometimes what what it is. It's like, I don't want you to be, I mean, I feel like it with Judgy James sometimes. I don't want you to be looking at your phone, but I also don't want you to be talking to me. So (laughs) (laughs) Damned if you do, damned if you don't. So what what is it then? Like,
1: what, what is it?
2: I don't know what it, I don't know, obviously, the reason, but I wonder if it's the thing of... She almost wants you to be watching her or like, uh, and I think sometimes we have to explain like, oh, we just, I just need like 15 minutes, 20 minutes just to myself to like refill my cup to like, mummy has been working all week. I'm really tired. You know, when you like to rest, rest is really important. I don't know. I feel Mm. like maybe, I don't know. Trying some of that language. Yeah. Yeah. Just to highlight the importance of like some downtime.
1: I just feel like maybe someone will message me and say, look, forget it. Like, you're not allowed to have a nap on a Sunday. (laughs) But lots of men in my life seem to put their feet up on the sofa and manage to get a nap. And the kids don't give a shit about waking them up.
2: I mean, I was going to say, I wouldn't let you have a nap either, if I'm on it. <gasps> oh my God, you don't.
1: <gasps> You're don't. The anti-nap camp. I'm I Luna. hate you.
2: I'm Lu- Luna is just growing up to be like me. <laughs> That's what's ha- that is what's happening. She's not going to let whoever she ends up with nap. She's not going to let them relax. She's not going to let them lay in bed. God, it Sorry. is amazing that
1: you and I have had a six-year friendship, Georgia, I after I discovered this about you.
2: I know. I'm just anti-Napper. I'm anti-Napper. Oh,
1: Jesus, don't switch off. Stick with us, guys. Um, let's get into today's conversation. Even though Georgia is an anti-Napper, because it was a really, <laughs> really powerful chat and something that we um, we really felt in light of like today's world. You know, when we can read so much information about certain subjects and we can be told certain, you know, so much information about certain subjects, it would be really interesting and actually really beneficial for us to have proper knowledge around the subject of autism and I think you know when you have young children and they are maybe identifying different types of behaviour patterns that you might not understand or recognise you know your your mind can go everywhere with what it is and what it isn't and so we really wanted to have this conversation today right?
2: Absolutely and you know people listening i don't know if this is coming up in your sort of friendship circles a lot more than maybe it would have done 10 15 years ago but i know it def, def, definitely does in mine that certain behaviors we kind of starting to know what to look out for what's what's classed as normal what's not classed as normal and i thought yeah wh- well we thought we should we should really go into this topic mm. in, in a bit more depth and find out from somebody who's you know living it right now and their, and listen to their experience.
1: Yeah and what a powerful experience they, they're having Absolutely. as well Um, and what an incredible father I mean it was yeah and it was really nice to have a male voice on the podcast as well and um, so really this conversation is you know not only if you have a child with autism but if you you know know somebody that does you want to have a deeper understanding of what it looks like if you're worried in any way shape or form about your own kids um, you know really it's a very like like I said, a very powerful and informative chat. So yeah, definitely stick around for it. Georgia, who
2: are we chatting to today? We are chatting to the incredible James Hunt from Stories About Autism.
1: So joining us on the podcast today, both Georgia and I feel a very, very, very important conversation to have. Somebody that's been sharing his life online with his two boys who both have autism for the last seven years, has been helping countless families uh, globally um, with their... I guess, deeper understanding on how to, I guess, live and understand on that deeper level about having children with autism. Um, He's also a podcaster. He's developing an app. Uh, the, the list is endless with his talents today. So we're really, really excited. So joining us for the podcast today is James
2: Hunt. How are you this morning, James?
3: I'm very good. Thanks for Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here to chat with you both.
2: Oh, no, do you know what? We're really excited um, to have someone on to come and talk about autism. It's something that we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. But I just wonder, before we get into the chat, if you could just give our listeners a little intro into, you know, who you are and how, I guess, you came about doing what you're doing now.
3: Sure. So, yeah, so my name's James. I live in Essex with, uh, I have two boys, Tommy and Jude, who are both autistic And we live probably a little bit differently than most. When me and their mum separated uh, about seven years ago, because of the boys' needs and because of the way they struggled around each other, we decided to separate them. So we have one boy each and we swap every day or two. And that means that they get one-to-one care. It means that they had the space that they needed. So yeah, so we've been living like that for a few years. Uh, Like you said, I share um a lot of stories from our lives online. We last year we moved into my dad's house. I'm also a carer for my dad. So yeah, life's been life's been a little bit different than expected. But um yeah, everyone's happy and doing well. So it's good.
1: So James, just take us back to when you you were expecting your first and tell us I guess, the sort of years afterwards, how you sort of first realised that there might be something that was different?
3: So Jude is 15 and he received his autism diagnosis when a little bit shortly before his second birthday. Uh, His mum first brought up some concerns when he was about nine months. Largely, she was going to baby groups and seeing that Jude was quite different to, to the other kids around him. Uh, I did the the sort of typical dad thing of he's a boy he'll be fine you know he's he was born early he'll he'll catch up he'll be fine and I was quite relieved when the doctor said the same when when she did push to go and see a GP and I think before he was one and the doctor sort of dismissed it in the same way and said you know he'll, he'll be fine he'll catch up. And then I guess as, as the other kids developed even more, it, it became a bit more apparent that he you know, was behind on his milestones. He wasn't crawling or walking at the same time as the other kids. He seemed quite solitary. He didn't really want to be around the other kids too much. And then we went on holiday shortly after he was one and went to France. And the very first day we turned up and went out into the back garden and there was a German couple in the, in the garden next to us. And they had a, a little girl. was a little bit younger than Jude and she just wanted to play with him. She wanted to get into the garden and, and come and say hello. And Jude just crawled away from her as quickly as he could. And I was watching her and she was so seemed so advanced compared to Jude and she was nearly talking and she was pointing out things. And, and I think that's when it hit me that, ah, okay. Maybe there is, is something a bit more and, you know, I do need to take this a bit more seriously. And yeah, I guess for, from there, when we went got back to England, we we arranged a pediatrician appointment and a little less than a year later, he, he received his diagnosis, which probably to people listening now sounds unheard of because there's huge weight in this and, and these things don't go as quickly. But back then, uh, nine months seemed a lifetime, but mm. but yeah, we he was diagnosed just before he was two.
1: I was actually going to say that nine months seems like a really long time to wait. Uh, mm. uh, you know, if you think that there is something different about your child mm. to have to wait for that length of time. But are you telling us that it's much longer in present oh, yes. day, 2023, really?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's. I'd say the typical is sort of two to three years. Oh,
2: my God. Um, wow.
3: Yeah, and I hear this a lot, obviously, through through my page. I get lots of messages and, and people getting in touch because they're so many people just get – you know, getting a diagnosis at two is very, very difficult now. That I think they sort of push people away to try and think that, oh, by the time they're four, you know, things have, have developed more and I think it, it, it there's just huge weight in this and it just takes forever.
2: Is there like a lot of benefits, would you say, with getting an early diagnosis?
3: I think there are. I think firstly it puts your mind at ease that, you know, you're not going mad and you're not seeing things other people aren't seeing and you're it definitely helps in terms of us being able to get things in place to get them into the right school, uh, to understand, start to learn. Cause I, I knew nothing about autism. I had no idea really what it was or, or what it would mean for Jude or for us as a family. And you need time to, to start learning and start to, to understand how to help your child. So mm. I, definitely the earlier, the better, because then there's also the whole system of then, as lots and lots of families are finding out right now, is you get the diagnosis. So then you start applying for things like EHCPs for school. And then that's another long wait. And another, lots of kids are starting school without an autism diagnosis when they're very clearly autistic. And then it, it's just delaying everything. Mm.
2: So
1: um, forgive me because, mm. um, and I think maybe people listening will also um be in this sort of space when it comes to understanding autism. But we hear a lot of language, you know, banded around like, oh, you know, she's on the spectrum or, you know, she's might be nonverbal or or, you know, what what diagnosis were you given? And at that point, what did you believe or how did you believe that was going to affect him long term?
3: I think with with Jude, he was given just the autism spectrum disorder diagnosis, as it was called then. Right. And global development delay and it was all very negative uh the way it is was, it was very medical it's very here's a leaflet someone will be in touch you know and you you leave that room you know we was expecting you know we'd waited nine months and knew that we were going to get an autism diagnosis we didn't really know what it meant but mm. but we knew that's what we were going for and it was very negative it was very talking about things like he, he might might not be able to speak he you know, might not uh, be independent and those sorts of things, which it, lots of it has turned out to be quite true, but that isn't always the case. You know, autism is a very wide spectrum. And I think that's one of the things that makes it hard for people to understand is that because it is such a, a wide spectrum you have someone like Jude who is nonverbal who is who will need a lot of lifelong support and then you have someone who's autistic who is completely independent and working and and it affects them in, in slightly different ways mm-hmm. so so yeah I, c- I can see how that's that's hard for people to understand sometimes it is for me too even mm-hmm. you know after all this time
2: yeah how did how did you guys feel when you got the diagnosis i know that you mentioned that it can sometimes feel like a relief because you know you're not going mm-hmm. mad but I guess when you've actually been given it and everything's been confirmed what do you go away feeling
3: Honestly at the time probably it's quite a grieving process uh, you feel especially because of how it was presented it was it was heartbreaking it felt like this was you know the worst possible thing that could happen and everything you imagine is going to be as as a family as part of parenthoods you know the things I'm going to do as a dad suddenly it's all it, it's not about I wonder if they'll go to university, what sort of job they'll get. I wonder if they'll ever speak. I wonder Mm. if they'll ever be able to be independent or Mm. will they be able to make a friend? And it's just such a huge shift after years of, if if you don't really have disability in your life or any experience, then I I think it can be really hard for parents because you have such an expectation of just what's going to happen when you become a mum or a dad. And then suddenly it's it's no longer certain.
1: How, how did it affect your relationship?
3: With their mum? Yeah. Uh, good question. Uh, it probably put a lot of stress on the relationship, if I'm honest. And that that is something that, that I hear a, a lot. And I don't think it... It was never that we had dif- different ideas or different uh, wants of how we should parent or what they needed for support or anything like that. We were both very committed in that sense I think it with relationships there's so many different things that can put stress on right it could be career it could be money there's so and suddenly having Tommy and Jude who are both autistic and severe lack of sleep and going through months and months of them uh hurting themselves having quite aggressive meltdowns where you feel like you failed you know as as a as a dad as or as a mum that if your child is going through this, it must be your fault and it must be mm. something that you're doing and that you're not good enough. And I think that no matter how much you're able to support each other, I think it, it just makes life very difficult.
2: Mm. Mm. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about Tommy because obviously you'd had Jude yeah. and then um, Tommy Tommy you know is also autistic. Did, mm. hi, did his differences present in the same way, or was it a different kind of process?
3: Yeah, so there's three years between them, and they were both diagnosed at roughly the same age. So I guess by the time Tommy came along and and we were seeing that he, he might be autistic, we knew a lot more. We knew, you know, our, a lack of eye contact is possibly a sign, or um, a lot of repetitive play and a lot of, uh, you know, sensory issues. So they. Like now they are very different, but they're also so similar. It's it's really hard to explain. Like there's certain things that they do that are so similar, but then they're also completely different as well. And so I I think the second time round, we, you know, we were certain a lot sooner because we knew what, you know, from the experience with Jude that we'd gone through and from meeting other families and, and going on courses and stuff but also he's yeah a very different personality i guess within within that too
1: tell us about the differences in personalities
3: mm. so jude is very gentle relaxed he loves music he he's he's a watcher he enjoys like watching other people do things he's not doesn't really take part in too much but he you know loves loves watching and and just having a nice quiet life is perfect for Jude like that, that's all he wants and Tommy is cheeky inquisitive uh, desperate to learn he loves taking part in everything like he's the complete opposite and the the challenges that we had with with both of them together and at, at times we still do now is just naturally they're very different personalities and Jude is very sound sensitive and he struggled a lot around other children and Tommy is naturally very loud and and just full of energy. Yeah. And it was never that they clashed. There was never any aggression between them. There was never, it was just that just being in each other's company just really upset Jude and he just couldn't couldn't handle it. So now on a positive note, we, with the help of school, the last couple of years, we've been getting them together a lot more. Uh, last weekend, for instance, we we had a sort of day out with them together uh and they're much better able to cope in each other's company and and that's i think because just maturing getting used to you know more life experience understanding what what works and what doesn't Mm. and i guess yeah just being more comfortable in the world i guess that that's one of the big things for jude
0: we'll be right back after this short break
1: Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mummers. Now, where were we? In terms of, um, th- just forgive me again for asking this question, mm. but in terms of their, would you call it like severity of, au- of autism or on the on the scale, um, are they quite similar?
3: They're both, the likelihood is they're both going to need lifelong support. Um, they're going to need, Tommy is a lot more independent than Jude. He is also what is classed as non-speaking, but he communicates a lot more. He understands a lot more language. I can... I can talk to Tommy and I'm confident he knows exactly what it is that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. He might not like what I'm saying. He might not want to really <laughs> respond and do things that I'm asking him. Whereas with Jude, I have to keep the language a lot simpler and I'm never a hundred percent sure if, if he has understood or not. Mm-hmm. And that, that shows in, in how they, you know, I guess how they cope in the world.
2: Yeah. You mentioned that you keep them separate. How mm. did you come about making that decision as a family? Because it feel, you know, to, for me, I might, you know, my kids don't, they're, they're not autistic, but splitting them up would feel quite, I guess, mm. scary in a way. Yeah. How, like, how did you come to that? And was, was it a difficult decision to make?
3: Yeah, extremely difficult. And it's one that you know, some days even now, seven years later, you still question and think, was it the right thing? But I know deep down it was the right thing, seeing how they've both progressed since. Why did we make it? Because even when we were together, we were having to spend a lot of time apart. We were having mm. to have one child upstairs, one child downstairs, uh, one at the park, one at home. And we were living like that for quite a while. And it was, Jude was having... Uh, he had a, a long period of quite, it's it's called meltdowns, um, where you're just completely overwhelmed and can't cope. And the way that he presented that was by being aggressive to himself. And obviously as a parent, that's, you know, it's the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen. And we had that for, for quite a few years. And it turned out that Tommy and other children were a huge trigger because Kids are loud, they're unpredictable. And that's everything that, that Jude really struggles with. So we realized that we were already living like that. We realized that they both kind of needed one-to-one care. So if we were going to separate, how are we, we going to do that? You know, how would I have both kids at home at the same time mm-hmm. and it be fair on them and same for their mum? So yeah, we, you know, it was, a, I guess we didn't really see it as it would be as long-term as, as this. It, we thought that maybe we'd be able to bring them back together more often sooner but within days of doing it i could just see such a difference in jude and the first when i first got my you know my new place our new place he came in and the first time first few days he used to sort of walk around the house checking all the rooms and he was checking for tommy he was checking to see if it was just me and him and it, you could see this like He'd just relax as mm. soon as he realized it was just me and him and a lot of the behaviors changed and he you know we, within a year or two a lot of those aggressive huge meltdowns they happened a lot less happened and uh, lasted a lot less time and, and now they're very rare mm. and so it also meant that i could have proper time with Tommy and proper, you know, do things with him that before I wasn't really able to do.
1: Now you're obviously helping loads of people going through similar circumstances as you by your amazing Instagram. Um, and I feel like anybody that is listening that is, you know, have has just had a diagnosis or has had the diagnosis previously, but is really struggling to kind of cope with it day to day. Cause it's a lot, I imagine for you guys, um, you know a complete life switch up. Why do you think it's important for you to be sharing all of your stories on autism online?
3: To begin with it, it was just a chance to to help friends and family understand more. At, the, at that time when I started it, we, I felt that we were quite isolated. We weren't able to go to the family parties that you know you expect or go to. We weren't going to all the social occasions. And it meant that friends and family weren't really getting to know Tommy and Jude. And I couldn't talk about it. I was really, emo- if ever I'd, I'd go to the pub, see my friends I'd say, how are Tommy and Jude? I'd say, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> and and that would be, you know, surface level because I, I couldn't get the words out. So to begin with it, it was just that it was for friends and family to try and improve the quality of conversations and it worked it it helped them understand where i think often when we're parents of children with disabilities we we can feel like we get isolated and our friends drift apart mm. and sometimes i think it's just they don't know what to say and they don't know what to ask and they don't know how often to ask it mm. and that's what i've realized a lot that it wasn't so much that people didn't care or it it was just they they really didn't know what to say and if we're not going to the same events anymore we're not going to saturday morning football and we're not going to you know on these holidays and we're not mixing together and and that's how it started and then from there it it just grew it just grew into you know more and more families finding finding the page and and i guess lots lots more people talking about autism now which is which is great and i get people you know message me every day saying about how just watching something and realizing that it's not just them that it's seeing their child in tommy and jude seeing a shared experience maybe in what i've described that is is life-changing and whether it's autism or you know just being a parent it that's why we we follow these pages because we want we want to feel less alone and and that, that's why I, sh- I share what I do.
2: What sort of support would you have wanted from your friends and family? You mentioned that people often don't know what to say. You know, there'll be lots of our listeners who, you know, they haven't got kids with disabilities, but they might have a friend or a family member who has. What What would you have wanted to hear and what sort of support would you have wanted then?
3: I think the main thing would be just to to still feel included. It's a couple of things. Mm. I think to feel still feel included, even if I can't go. So, I think what a lot of parents complain about is that they stop getting invited which then makes them feel like they're yeah. not wanted
0: mm-hmm.
3: and there's been times that i've taken tommy and jude to things that have worked and there's been times that it hasn't and i've chosen when and and where to go because i've felt like okay there's a better chance that that might work because there's going to be less people it's, there's more space there's mm-hmm. so that helps and then i think just just being there just realizing that okay, I didn't reply to your text today. It might be because we're having a horrendous time at the moment. It doesn't mean that you, you stop trying and, you know, being there for when I am ready or or the other person is ready to, to share what's going on.
2: Mm.
3: And also try and teach your kids. Like that makes a huge difference. Try and explain to your kids about autism, about difference, about disability, so that they have a a little understanding and the people i are people i'm close to tommy and jude might not have that typical relationship with their kids but their kids are open to them and they you know i don't feel uncomfortable when we're together that that they're sort of thinking oh why are they doing that or why are they not talking to me or why are they not joining in and i think that that just makes a huge difference
2: Mm.
1: You mentioned about talking to your children, which I think mm. is such a beautiful, beautiful statement to make and something that we might be maybe a bit concerned on how to do it and the language mm. and stuff. But I know that since doing this podcast, I've actually had conversations with my three and there's a little boy in Luna's class, my middle daughter, who's got autism and he absolutely adores her. And he sits there and strokes her hair. And oh. the teacher came up to me the other day and said, Um, fact, th- like, you know, I just want to say well done with Luna because she really, she's really made a connection with him yeah. on like a, a sort of, it's not, I don't know, it's on a very kind of really pure and beautiful level that they both have this understanding. But I think maybe it's because I've had those conversations with her so she understands that that's what he needs and, you know, and actually she really enjoys She really loves it and she often gives him cuddles. He's really, he's actually really cuddly. And yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely seeing them playing together.
3: Mm. How, how old are they? They're,
1: um, they're both six.
3: Yeah, no. I think I think naturally kids are like that at a young age, mm. right? The, uh, maybe a little bit younger. They they don't see difference. They don't. No. They join in. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a family barbecue at, at my house where my cousins' children came, and they're four years old, two boys. And Tommy was, Tommy's twelve. Tommy's bouncing around the garden with a wobbly snake. Like flicking mm. it around, just enjoying himself, having the best time, and another twelve-year-old would look at him and think, "What is he doing?
0: Mm. You know, that
3: is so strange." The two four-year-olds just picked up wobbly snakes themselves and running around, laughing yeah. and joining in. Yeah, you know, and it is, it is that, and that changes in you know as, as we get older in society, it naturally changes. But it'd be amazing if it didn't.
2: Yeah, you're so right, mm. wouldn't it? Their relationships with other children have got more difficult as they've got older. Because like Zoe says, you know, it's at five, six, seven even, they're still quite, yeah, like in- innocent and and they're not, they might be qu- like inquisitive but they're not necessarily going to be mean or or horrible but as they you know as kids get older they are like I don't know is it is it peer pressure who knows what it is but they they can be a bit more like oh what, what are they doing well it's difference isn't it and that's this lack of understanding yeah. around it would you say that it's got harder as, as they've got older
3: for us probably not to be honest because they they both go to a special education school so yeah they're their classmates are very similar to them. We don't spend lots of time out around, you know, around other kids. Uh, Tommy does a lot more. So Tommy, th- there's a few kids in in Tommy's life who through. So Tommy has a carer who, uh, like once a week, will take him out to to do things, and they have daughters of a similar age to Tommy, and they adore him. And they're, Mm. you know, he's like a brother to them and, and watching that and their relationship with them makes you realize that, you know, it's, it's quite simple, really. You just, Mm. you know, and, and he, he loves them. But I think for, for kids who, you know, maybe are in a mainstream school or, I've looked more social. I I definitely see that it it does get harder.
1: Yeah, I I think it's. I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? That actually, you know, the more you more you understand, and the more we just keep this conversation going, Mm. you know, the 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 better we can all be in society. Because I know Mm. that, you know, I don't know about about Axel and Gigi George, but you know, if kids will be inquisitive, and if they see somebody who looks different to them or is behaving differently to how they might see it, they will go, oh, gosh, what, you know? And I go, right, okay, let's have a conversation about mm. it. But, you know, there there is historically that sort of, oh, shh, don't look, don't point, don't, yeah. you know. And we are all different. And so we are, we do need to have those sorts of conversations mm. um, just to, to, to bust the kind of, secrecy secrecy is that the right word or maybe taboo I don't know what it is
3: yeah I guess it is a bit secrecy a stigma maybe a stigma of, yeah but you're right kids are naturally inquisitive and and it's the reaction that I think that we give them that that plays a big part you know like mm. you said if it is oh shh don't look don't stare
1: yeah
3: I'm always happy for someone to you know unless we're having a, a difficult time out in public I'm always mm. happy for people to come and yeah you know ah talk and and explain a little it's when you know it's coming from a judgmental place that's the that's the problem yeah Um, and i think that one of the funny things is through doing you know sharing our lives on on social media tiktok has made a huge difference of Mm. people seeing this sort of uh content that wouldn't usually see it
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and you know lots of kids as well younger younger people see it and now, when I go out with Tommy, we often have people come and say hello, like kids say, like, oh, you, you're, that's Tommy, right? That's Tommy from, and you, they're happy to see him. And yeah. I know it's yeah, it's because I've seen him on social media and whatever, but I hope that that is, they're realizing that mm. they've seen a bit of the world that they wouldn't normally see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we went to the fun fair on Saturday and had, you know, teenage boys come in to say hello and that it wouldn't usually happen.
0: Well, yeah, well, that's fantastic that because is. you're just raising
1: awareness around it all. I mean, it's brilliant. That's an amazing, exactly. mean, what an incredible thing to be doing. Um, for any of our listeners who are maybe concerned about their little ones um, and are looking out for things, just give us, you know, w- what should they do? Who should they be speaking to? Um, and I guess what they should be looking out for.
3: It's hard to say what, what to look out for because autism is such a, a vast spectrum. Um, and I wouldn't want to say... Name a few things, and then people go, "Oh my god, my child's autistic." Because you know, because that there is a, you know, kids are different. Kids develop differently. Mm-hmm. There's no. Um, I what I would say is, you know, if you are concerned about your child's development, or you or you do think that maybe they they are developing a bit differently, simple things like looking on the National Autistic Society website to understand a little bit more about autism. First. And then first step is going to your GP or pediatrician and and discussing it with them and pushing for the, you know, to for it to be explored further. Um, like I said in the beginning, it is an incredibly long wait. If you are involved in the school system already, I'd, you know, talk to teachers, talk to um, if you're in nursery, talk to the the Senko and see yeah. if um, you know they can give some advice and support
0: mm.
3: and if you do get to that phase stage where you know it's going to be a long wait there's no harm in in learning more about autism during that time and I think it like I said it could be a couple of years but in that time you can learn a lot and your child will will change a lot you can learn how best to interact with your child during that time and it, it really can make a difference and a uh, key point I'll make is there's something that a lot of autistic people do, which is called stimming, which basically means uh, self-stimulation, which we all do. We we bite our nails, we twiddle our hair, we you know do things on a regular basis that most of society see as normal. Now, a lot of autistic people do things that are seen as different. So, like Jude flaps, he'll flap his hands. That's the same as as you and with your hair. Um, you know, uh, it might be spinning around, it might be hopping, it might be bouncing. It's just repetitive behaviors. And often I certainly did in the early days, I tried to stop them. I tried to stop them doing the things like that, that made them stand out and look different. And without realizing that the reason they're doing it is because it's helping reduce their anxiety. It's helping them relax. It's helping them, um, you know, cope with, with the sensory input they've got around them. So if you do see your child flapping if you do see them doing things that as long as it's safe as long as it's uh you know not causing any any harm I just encourage you not to try and f- like force them to stop because mm-hmm. I've I've done it and I mean firstly it made no difference it didn't yeah. change them flapping their hands but you know it it's you're showing them that that's something they shouldn't be doing when really they they need to be able to do it
1: Okay, Brilliant. super interesting James, thank, thank you. you so much for coming so on So interesting And listening, if you want to find out lots more about James and his life and his gorgeous boys uh, he is Stories About Autism on Instagram so you can check him out there and um, yeah. thank you so much for coming on and, and being so honest it's been a beautiful conversation, taking yeah. loads from it Thank, thank you, like thanks that. James Thank you James How great, how great was that conversation?
2: Yeah, it, it really was and I, I'm... I'm really thankful to James for coming on to talk about it, but also like sometimes these conversations are quite tricky because you don't know what to ask you don't know how you should tell your children about things like this and I love that James was just sort of really open and just sort of said like it's better to ask questions and he's happy to ask you know to answer questions if you're in a playground and you see somebody's child behaving a different way your child might point out what you know what are they doing what's going on and actually just to have the conversation and just not to like isolate people who have children with autism I think that's really important because it's It can be so easy easy to do and it's not fair for these parents to feel lonely
1: no absolutely and also for us not to have you know I think a lot of the time it's not it's not it's not anyone's fault is in to have the lack of understanding I mean exactly. I, uh, before we started doing this podcast you know I only knew one person two people who had children with autism and now I feel like we've opened up the conversation so many more people want to have it and uh-huh. I feel like I'm learning so much about it every single day so yeah exactly. really grateful to James like like Georgia said thank you so much for coming on his podcast has actually just launched it's doing really well in the chart so we're thrilled to have had him on our podcast <laughs> um, and as always we would love you to rate review subscribe and please give the podcast a little follow so you don't miss an episode
2: yeah and if you've got any feedback on this episode or any others then please do drop us a dm we're on at made by Mummers and we'll be back on friday made by Mummers is an insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the lovely charlotte mason
3: insanity group
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well